0: Hey, Rarecast listeners, Global Genes Next 2021, a time for resilience and ingenuity, is now available to download. This is our annual report on the major developments in rare disease and looks ahead to trends that are reshaping the landscape. To get your free electronic copy, go to globalgenes.org and look for a link to the report on the homepage. You can also go to bit.ly forward slash 2021 next report. That's BIT.ly forward slash 2021 next report. The electronic version is free. On demand print copies can also be ordered for a fee. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Taneth Kumar Ramesh's son, Ragev, was born with an ultra-rare and progressive disorder known as SSMD. The condition is caused by mutations in the GPX-4 gene. There are only a handful of known patients with GPX-4 mutations. In the past, most known cases resulted in death about a month after birth. Ramesh has moved with remarkable speed to find patients, raise money, and Drive research, but he also realized that many other patients of children and small rare disease organizations must go through the same process to develop treatments for ultra rare conditions. To guide and accelerate the work for others, Ramesh has created Open Treatments Foundation, a nonprofit with a software platform to enable treatments for genetic diseases, regardless of rarity or geography. Open Treatments provides people with a roadmap for developing genetic medicines, connects them with researchers, clinicians, and others needed to advance their programs, and helps them show their capabilities to raise funding despite the rarity of a condition. We spoke to Ramesh, founder of Open Treatments Foundation, about how his software platform works, the need it addresses, and how it can accelerate the development of treatments for ultra rare genetic diseases. Sanath, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. We're going to talk about your nonprofit initiative, Open Treatments, how it's seeking to enable patients and their families to pursue the development of therapies for ultra-rare conditions. Before we get into the specifics of Open Treatments, though, I thought we could talk about what led you down this path. What happened when your son Raghav was born?
1: Yeah, my son was born uh, two and a half years ago now. Um, and when he was born um, just a few hours after birth, uh, the doctors noticed that there was something abnormal going on with him. Um, they did not know what was wrong uh, with him at that time. So we started um, you know, going through this diagnostic odyssey um, which ended um, after a year. Um, We spent several days in the hospital after birth, um, going through a lot of tests, Um, usually the blood work and and those type of genetic or those type of blood workup um, that did not give us any results. Um, And then the doctors uh, asked us to go through a genetic testing and a whole exome sequencing. And after uh, two misdiagnoses, we uh, ended up with the correct diagnosis for my son's condition. Um, which is that he has a mutation in a gene called GPX4. Um, At that time, when he was diagnosed, um, we didn't know of any other kids with this disease. Um, Since then, we have identified um, several other kids um, and we estimate that there are nine kids in the world living with this disease so far, Uh, but I'm sure there's, there's a lot more that we are yet to find.
0: Well, what was known about the GPX-4 mutation, if
1: anything? There was nothing that was known. Um, In fact, when we got the diagnosis, our doctor handed us uh, a paper from 2014, I believe. Uh, That was the last paper written about this disease, um, and it was reporting that two kids passed away uh, just a few weeks after birth, and uh, their sequencing revealed a mutation in GPX-4. Um, but since then, we have um, done a lot of research um, and understood the mechanism of action of GPX4. Um, we have um, even done a lot of drug repurposing activities and got, gotten my son started on uh, a cocktail of five different drugs now. Um, and we are pursuing other, uh, you know, drug repurposing activities as well. Um, and all of these are are giving us more clarity into uh, the mechanism of action of this disease. Uh, but nevertheless. Um, we we only know what I think is a tip of the iceberg, uh, and there's a, there's just a whole lot to be explored.
0: Well, what are the the consequences of this gene in the case of your son? What's known about it to date?
1: Yeah, so um, my son specifically has um, severe hypotonia, um, which means that he cannot. Move his head. He cannot move his. Um, he cannot lift anything with his hands. Um, not even a not even a small toy or even a, a metal spoon for that matter. Um, he cannot stand, sit, um, walk, or run like uh, most normal two and a half year old kids would do. And it also means that he has severe swallowing difficulties, uh, inability to speak. Speak um, in. In addition to all of the neurological problems that he has, um, he also has severe skeletal dysplasias, um, which is the hallmark of this condition. So um, his long bones have um, abnormalities. His spinal cord uh, is, is not developing properly. He has scoliosis and kyphosis. Um, so his his resume of, of medical challenges is, is longer than my, my, my resume of work.
0: This mutation is so rare. Uh, you say you now have identified a, a handful of patients with the condition. What does this mean to the prospect of engaging researchers or drug companies to work on finding a treatment?
1: Yeah. So, so, um, initially when we got started, um, we, we thought we were going to face up, an uphill battle, um, because there, uh, are so few patients in, in the world with this disease, uh, that nobody would really care. But fortunately for us, uh, This gene has been in the center of um, some of the cancer therapeutics recently, Um, although it's not as popular uh, of a gene for cancer as other other genes are, but nevertheless, some researchers had been studying this gene um, as, um, as, as a potential target to suppress for cancer. Um, for, for my son's condition, we um, need to um, not suppress the gene, uh, but do the opposite, express the gene more. Uh, and so we've been able to uh, get a few researchers excited and, and get some research work started. But I think the real challenge was when I approached uh, biotech companies um, about, about this, this work, um, it's, it, it, it's obvious that all of the companies want to help, uh, but their, their, their business model does not allow them to um, because there is no direct returns on, on investment. Um, so, I've gotten a lot of support from, from um, biotech companies um, in terms of lending their expertise, in terms of guidance and, um, and making connections. Uh, but at the, at the end of the day, I'm looking at all the work that I'm doing for my son and asking myself, you know, what happens if another kid is born with this disease, say, five years from now? Who is going to make treatments available for these kids? Uh, and and unfortunately the answer is no one so and someone I, would probably have to redo all the work you, you and i have spoken before and, and and i think
0: anyone who looks at what you've accomplished in a, a short of amount of time would be astounded but there was this moment of realization for you that you were you were not alone in the case of having a child with a rare condition with next to no prospects of a, a drug company being able to pursue it. When did you realize a common need among people with thousands of other rare diseases?
1: Yeah. So I started working on uh, Raghav's gene therapy uh, for the specific condition and um it was. It, gene therapy made uh, the problem more clear because of the cost that in, that it takes to build a gene therapy treatment. Um, a drug repurposing experiment would cost somewhere between one hundred thousand to two hundred thousand dollars, and that's in the realm of possibilities for uh, a, a patient or a patient family to go and fundraise from friends and family on GoFundMe or Facebook. But when it comes to gene therapy, we're talking about uh, five to seven million um, dollars in. There are some parents that have still defi- defied the odds and, and raised this money. But uh, to me, it's it's a trade-off of how much time I want to spend on fundraising versus um, how much time I want to spend on my son. And so I started talking to a lot of biotech companies about about whether, whether they would be interested in funding this disease. Um, and obviously, the answer was, I would love to, but unfortunately, my hands are tied. And so I started talking to other patient foundations, um, especially the ones that have um, more prevalent or incidence populations, um, the ones that have hundreds or 500s or thousands of patients. And when I started talking to them, I, I identified two cohorts. On the first cohort, there were patients that have made exceptional progress that, that did raise the millions, um, that actually got a gene therapy program, even in the clinic, and gotten a few patients dosed. Um, and unfortunately, when they, when they went back to the biotech companies and handed off this program there were still challenges in the companies' abilities to take over the program. And the challenges would be either because the uh, the experiments were not done right, or the right vector was not used, or uh, this was not going to fit in with the platform technology that the company was focused on. And so regardless of all of the money and the work that they put in, this technology is sitting in someone's shelf um, without getting to patients. That's the first cohort. And the second cohort is, uh, is, is, of, is of patients where you know they had 500 patients worldwide, but there was no um, you know unifying voice. There was there was no driving force behind it. They had they they, they had some basic animal models built, but they had not gotten the research study started. Uh, even though theoretically, looking at their gene and and their disease, you, gene therapy would be a good fit for them. And, and so after seeing these two cohorts of of patients foundations, it was clear to me that. The um, the the noise that we are hearing from the from 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 the industry around um, you know um, SMA getting their treatments, uh, progeria getting their treatments, uh, and 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 so many other rare diseases is awesome. It's motivating, but there are thousands of diseases that are never going to make it beyond the cut line unless we do something about it.
0: Well, what is open treatments, and what will it enable patients to
1: do? Sure. Um, so, I, after I found um, out that there are still diseases that don't um, that, that are never going to be commercially viable, I started asking myself the question, you know, what can we do about it? So I started talking to a lot of researchers and academic researchers specifically because I knew that the answer lied in academia. Right? Like we we are pushing the frontier, we're getting new technologies out the door. Um, so the answer has to be in the academia. Uh, the more and more I started speaking to academic researchers, it was obvious that the technology that we need for a lot of these diseases already exists, and it's been existing around for decades now. I'm talking about AAV, gene therapy technologies. Uh, the challenge really was, um, you know, in in, in manufacturing and, and driving down the cost of manufacturing, which there are many initiatives now that are pushing that boundary forward. So I asked myself the question, you know, if the technology became cheap enough how likely are these diseases to become commercially viable and and uh, be able to take it to the clinic the answer unfortunately is is unlikely because the diseases are still going to have a lot of risks in the risk in them and the risk is lack of animal models lack of understanding of the disease lack of a natural history lack of patient registry uh, and and all of these risks unfortunately are not going to be um, solved by a company investing money in it because they would want to invest after the risks are solved and not before them. Um, and and you know, academia is not going to be investing in these risks because this is not going to lead to a paper. And so it does not fall, follow the incentive model either. And now the third the third cohort, the third group that could potentially invest would be governments, and it's going to take years before the government is going to invest in any of these diseases. Um, and I hope they do, but it's not in the horizon for anybody in, in, in the next couple of years. So I wanted to somehow put these diseases in the center and connect people that are capable or interested in solving these diseases or de risking them um, as soon as possible. And that is the software platform that I'm building called Open Treatments as a part of the Open Treatment nonprofit organization. Um, the software platform is focused on decentralizing drug development by providing patients and patient families and patient-led organizations uh, the right roadmap, people, and infrastructure they need to execute their, uh, their DC, the drug development program. Our focus is, is going to be on gene therapy in the beginning, but I'm, I'm fairly certain we will expand to other therapeutic technologies in the future.
0: And what problem does this solve for patients and their families?
1: Yeah, so patients and the families right now are, um, have a lot of motivation and drive, just like how, uh, how I have um, to, to help my son. But um, unfortunately it takes enormous amount of time before you actually become an expert in, um, first in biology, second in the disease, Third in uh, the the drug development technology, and fourth in regulations, and fifth in the in the entire process of connecting all of these together. So even if you can be an expert in expert in one or the other, it's not sufficient. You have to be an expert in all if you want if you want to act like um, like a well-oiled machinery, like a like like a like a well-oiled biotech company and deliver results uh, in the clinic. So um, what I want, what well, the problem I'm trying to solve with open treatments is. Now that patient foundations have gotten savvy enough uh, to bring in the right experts, scientific experts that are deep understanding in the gene and the biology, can we supplement that with process expertise and tools so they can operate like the well-oiled machinery that I'm talking about, um, in addition um, to the to the disease experts that they, that they already have, um, so open treatments creates or provides a software platform. And think of this as a project management solution, right? Um, the software platform will give you a clear roadmap um, to to build a gene therapy product from um, starting from scratch. Um, you know, you can build your animal models, your natural history studies, um, your uh, construct design, plasmid creation, um, and all that stuff, uh, up to manufacturing or even even dosing your patients here um, through the Open Treatments platform. Um, you can connect with the right service providers to execute these um, these activities for you. Um, and uh, we also supplement that, um, or supplement the software platform with um, with expertise and expert advice, who are experts in the drug development process. Um, they are not necessarily experts in the disease area, and that's fine because it's supposed to be complementary to what the foundation's uh, current expertise already is. Um, and together with all of these, um, we hope that um, foundations would be able to run um, like a very small biotech and. My hope is that we can um, we can get drugs into the clinic faster. And my strategy is by cutting the time to decision-making. So if a foundation is spending months uh, trying to decide, oh, whether should I build a knock-in mouse or a knock-out mouse, can we cut the time to decision-making um, from months to say weeks, if not days? And, and that's, um, that's drugs delivered in the clinic faster. You mentioned
0: you're you're initially focusing on gene therapies. How expansive are you using that term?
1: Um, I'm actually focused on gene replacement therapy. So um, uh, I'm focused on uh, our abilities to use AAV-based gene replacement therapy to deliver them um, to any part of the body. But I'm focusing on AAV-based because um, there there are differences in the roadmap when you when you use a different type of a vector. Um, I am not specifically focused on a, a CNS disease or um, a muscular muscular disease or so on, um, as long as we can find the right vector available um, in the market uh, for us to continue the program. Um, I am also focused on um, diseases that are um, that are amenable to gene therapy, uh, gene replacement therapy using AAV. Uh, specifically, what I mean by that is is that um, overexpression of your gene should not be harmful. And your gene, um, your 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 protein should have at least less than, one thousand one hundred amino acids um, that can fit in within an AAB. Um, so as long as we can get this satisfied, um, I think uh, open treatments would be a great platform for uh, a, a disease to build on top of us. And might you expand
0: this to gene editing and ASOs down the road?
1: That's the plan. Um, what I want to really do is um, start with gene replacement therapy, understand the process challenges that foundations go through. Um, right now, um, my the challenge that we've had so far in building this platform is that um, we expect a very high level of understanding or scientific knowledge from the patient-led organizations, um, because we don't handhold you on or oh, what a mutation is or what a what a gene is, right? We expect that um, level of understanding to be present, um, and we also expect from the patient-led organizations an understanding of the risk they are taking on. Um, even even when I got started in this journey, I did not know that I was taking risk on uh, when I when I stepped on a, on a drug development platform, and and the risk could be that your, your, your drug might not work, and the risk could be that you give it to a patient and there might be adverse effects, and, and none of this could be predicted beforehand. They could be remediated in some form or fashion, but they can never be predicted. So I don't want to give hope to patient, patients and patient families up front and take it back from them um, later when they, when they understand that the real risk that they're taking with, with sort of a drug development platform. So... I am in the process of starting um, with gene replacement therapy and a very small set of patient foundations. So uh, we can clearly understand what is the requirement from them um, in terms of um, their ability to execute and also build guardrails in the platform so others that are following suit will not um, fall into the traps. So we are starting with a very very limited set of technologies and a very limited set of um, diseases, but then we will expand to ASOs, gene editing, drug repurposing, um, and whatnot.
0: There have been a a number of efforts of late to enable people to pursue bespoke therapies. How do you see open treatments working with these efforts in any way? Or or do you think there'll be some synergies between them?
1: Yeah, so a lot of these efforts have been um, focused on a later stage um, therapy development. Um, for example, um, there is the Bespoke Gene Therapy Consortium uh, from the foundations for NIH, uh, and, and they're doing amazing work focused on reducing the cost of manufacturing and making it cookie cutter to to take a program into a clinic. Um, but then they are still not focused on diseases that don't have their basic infrastructures built. Um, and, and there are other uh, bespoke gene therapy or bespoke therapy development efforts and including NLORM Foundation, who's doing amazing work in ASOs. Uh, but again, their focus is, is to make sure that um, the, the basics are already there before they can take over these programs. Um, and and I'm, I'm sure there's gonna be a lot more of these bespoke gene therapy efforts coming down the pipeline, and I'm looking forward to all of them. But my focus with open treatments is on the early, early, early stages. Um, as long as 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 soon as you get you get a diagnosis and a disease is discovered, how soon can we get this disease de-risked to a point where these other bespoke therapy development efforts can take over from us? So think of open treatments as the um, as the first leg of a relay race.
0: And where is open treatments in terms of development? What more needs to be done?
1: Sure, it's a great question. Um, so we just incorporated our foundation um, with our board of directors um, this um, last month. Um, so um, we have Ethan Pearlstein, um, Julia Vitrello, and Plavi Mittal who are our board of directors. Um, and we are just starting our foundation and getting on get some customers onboarded. Um, in parallel, we are also pursuing our open source software development. Um, and what I mean by that is, Uh, that all of the software or the source code of the software um, that customers will be using, in this case, patient foundations will be using, will be open source and available freely for anybody to use under a a specific Linux foundation project called Camp. Um, The open source development process is a long process, but um, it's one that has the ability to scale um, around the world. So my vision is that we can do the software development and sort of give it as our gift to the community for the long term. And we can bring in developers, software developers from around the world to come and contribute to the software platform and building the platform. And so we are in the process of, um, of finishing our first uh, release and launching uh, by the first week of April. Um, and that's when we will onboard a, a very limited set of patient foundations onto the platform. Um, and three to five would probably be the magic number at launch. Um, and we will continue the, the treatment or the software development process um, in parallel and add more and more capabilities. Uh, but we're sort of taking the, uh, the, the Silicon Valley approach of move fast and break things. One of the things
0: you're doing is building a marketplace of source for patients and patient groups moving along the therapeutic development pathway to not only understand what steps they need to take, but connect them with service providers to execute those steps. What's the range of service providers you're seeking to build into the system and and who are some of the folks you're working with?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So uh, this is a marketplace, uh, but uh, it's sort of a different type of a marketplace where um, we are not interested in in sort of like listing uh, every service provider like a Yelp, uh, but we are more interested in identifying the best service providers to work for each of the um, uh, each of the each of the steps in the process. Um, for example, uh, we have partnered with Castle IRB um, to help with. Um, uh, the, the IRB uh, activities around, you know, if you want to get a fibroblast done or if you want to start a natural history study done. Um, we are uh, collaborating with uh, Odelia Therapeutics to help us with uh, the, uh, um, the expert advice um, for, for a gene therapy development process. Um, we are in conversations with uh, several other providers as well. Uh, and, and our vision is that we will have at least one provider per step. So um, one provider for building mouse models, one for constructing vectors uh, and plasmids, one for manufacturing and so on. And at, at in the beginning, um, in the next say three, four months, that is where we would be. Um, we, we will uh, understand what uh, the patient organization's needs are and, and expand and, and change beyond that. Uh, but we are starting from here. Um, we do have a lot more collaborators that have helped us build this platform. Um, For example, Global Genes has has graciously donated some of their time in in helping us build some of the education materials. Um, Charles River Labs is also collaborating with us um, in providing some of the scientific advice um, and expertise in helping us build this platform. I'm also working with uh, the Linux Foundation, who's uh, providing us advice and expertise in the open source development process as well. Um, so there's, there's a lot of folks that are um, helping us build the platform and then uh, there will be service providers that will be available for uh, the patient foundations to use as well.
0: Obviously, it's early days, but have you gotten any response from the patient community so far?
1: Yeah, a lot of positive response, and I think one of the best responses that I've gotten um, was that um, of, of of a patient foundation that told me that this platform would uh, take them from walking in the sidewalk to to cruising at hundred miles per hour in a freeway um, in in a few minutes, and that that is a visual that keeps coming back to me again and again and again um, because. While one that's awesome, because now walking is, is sucks and it takes it takes a long time to get to your destination, but a freeway can get you there faster. Uh, but at the same time, um, you you have to be careful. There are more risks in driving at 100 miles an hour in a freeway uh, than walking. And, and so this is why I'm um, starting small, starting slow and expanding as we go along. Um, we will have uh, three to five patient foundations onboarded onto the platform. And one of them would be, uh, my son's gene therapy as well um, because this is where my my whole journey started and I would like to take the process that I'm I'm learning through my son's gene therapy and continue to add feedback and apply back um, to uh, open treatments uh, another foundation is I define uh, tackling the cleave stress syndrome um, they will also be onboarding onto the platform in April. Um, and uh, QRCMD, which is an umbrella organization taking care of um, several uh, muscular dystrophy, um, congenital muscular dystrophy conditions, um, would, would also be onboarding to, onboarding a couple of their programs onto the platform.
0: My next question was whether GPX4 was one of the targets for this. Where are you in development, and how's your son doing?
1: Yeah, um, so it is it is always going to be the target for it, and um, having. I am my own customer at this point. Um, So if something works for me, I'm fairly certain it will work for other people. Um, We are in the process of uh, verifying the uh, construct design. So we have actually uh, five or six uh, types of constructs that we have designed for this gene therapy. Uh, We are in the process of verifying which of these work the best in uh, a cellular model. And once we have some confidence in the data, we will scale it up to go to a proof of concept study uh, and then to manufacturing. Vragov um, is doing stable overall and stable is always good for us um, because you know of of all the challenges that he's having um, a day where he's stable and smiling and happy is is the best day for us and that's definitely been uh, the case for the last few weeks.
0: Sanath Kumar Ramesh, founder and CEO of Open Treatments Foundation. Sanath, thanks so much for your time today.
1: Thank you, Danny. Thank you so much for having me here. It's such a pleasure. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare
0: disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org.